Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back to Gyro Nation Metal. My name is Jeff, and I'll be your host. Today, I am joined by Todd Harris, one of the creative forces behind the Baroque-influenced black metal band Mortal Thrall out of Nashville, Tennessee. Todd currently performs the vocals, bass, and guitar for Mortal Thrall, and they just released their debut album, A Path to Fire, on May 20th of this year. Todd, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No problem. And uh, so tell me a bit more about this new band of yours. You mentioned it was a project you started when you were living in Seattle. Yeah, um, I was, you know, obviously we were in the middle of the whole COVID lockdown thing. And um, I uh, hadn't actually written anything for quite a while and just got weirdly inspired. Um, and yeah, this whole thing sort of formed out of boredom and um, kind of unexpected inspiration. And while you were moving, uh, when you moved to Seattle, was that something like, did you decide to take a little bit of a break from music or is that just something that naturally happened? Um, well, I mean, it, the move sort of prompted it, but at the same time, I consciously took a break um, because I'd been kind of going nonstop for a number of years, probably a little more than a decade at that point, um, writing and uh, recording for two bands at that point. Um, and I was just burnt out, to be perfectly honest. It was just I didn't have anything left to say for a while. So I needed to just step away for a bit. No. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, a decade is a long time. I go a couple of weeks and I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> fair. <laughs> so yeah, just, just a, a much needed break. So, and I think That's it was fair. a good thing, you know? Yeah, for sure. And Seattle's a great place to take a break too. Yeah, it was actually, it was interesting because, uh, you know, I got there in like a little less than six months after I got there, all of this happened. So it was, I didn't really get to form much of a connection with the city, unfortunately, mm. but, um, yeah, it was it was a cool cool environment to live in, to say the least. I really enjoy traveling down there. It's one of the few places that um, I've gone like a couple times. Normally, I like to uh, experience things that I haven't or places that I haven't been before. But Seattle, uh, basically anywhere along the west coast in Canada and the states, same idea. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I got to go up to Vancouver right before um, the lockdown hit, so that was kind of nice to be able to go up there. I'd only previously been to Toronto, so it's nice to get to go to Vancouver at least once before all that happens. Very cool city. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, from my opinion, and I, I just love the feel of that way more than on uh, Toronto. Yeah, it's it's totally different vibe altogether. And granted, I haven't been to Toronto in I don't know, like thirty years now, I guess. So it's been <laughs> <laughs> so I can't speak to it too much because it's been too long. But uh, yeah, I like Vancouver a lot. I think when when you said the vibe, that is definitely the thing I would pick up on the most. Like it just seems, kind of the West Coast is a little bit more laid back, a little bit more free, if that makes sense. Whereas like the, Toronto and where I'm from, Calgary, it just seems like everything is so so busy all the time oh yeah i could sort of see that i mean i don't know the west coast in general like you said is just a totally different different environment altogether yeah different way of life it seems Mm -hmm. than what i'm used to to say the least so and is that the reason you chose to move out to seattle um no it was uh my partner got a job out there and um so i in turn was also able to get a job so that's the reason we went to seattle for a while and then uh everything went remote so we chose to move back here um, hmm. because we could afford to buy a house here. So as yeah, fair to enough. Seattle, which is you know insanely expensive. So, yeah. I don't know what the housing market's like in Seattle. Is it similar to Vancouver where everything is just astronomically priced? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it's completely, completely nuts. And it was just like, we, we were renting out there and it was, it was nuts from just renting. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we were just like, we're going to actually buy a place. Let's go back to somewhere we can afford to buy. Now, granted, this place is blowing up like crazy. So it's, yeah, everywhere is kind of, kind of, uh, unbelievable as far as pricing and housing is concerned now so yeah yeah it seems to be that way here too it's just like everything skyrocketed now it seems like everything's starting starting to return to normal but i don't know how long it's going to take until normal is returned yeah that's the whole thing i mean you know houses that were in this area that were previously like 
200, 250,000 within a couple of years, jumped up to 500,000. I mean, it's, it's, it's unreal actually, as far as that's insane. The jump. Oh, it's completely nuts. It's completely nuts. So yeah, who knows what's going to happen over the next few years. So things are slowing down a little bit here, but the market is still pretty nuts. So mm-hmm. we'll see. I did, definitely didn't expect the amount of uh, moves that I've seen. And what I mean by that is like just just with everybody buying, everybody selling, everybody moving, it's just with the past couple of years, I just wouldn't have expected that as kind of uh, a side effect. I think it was, I think there's some level of you got stuck in one place for a long period of time and just wanted to get out. I mean, I, mm. I think that there was some of that going on, um, just kind of migrating around, you know, and then on top of it, uh, the remote thing I think has made made it possible for a lot of people to move to places that they wanted to move, you know, they couldn't prior. So I think that's probably a big driver of it as well. Definitely. And when you say like getting stuck in one place, that could mean the job, that can mean where you live. That could, I mean, for you, uh, you were stuck in a place where you became bored and then ultimately inspired. So you created new music. So I think like everybody's making their own move in their own way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I will say I, I just for the record, I loved living in Seattle. I mean, but it was, you know, there wasn't anything to do because everything was closed. So um, outside of going out into nature, which I did a lot of that, which was um, one of the nicer aspects of being in a lockdown situation was it forced you to kind of explore outdoors. Um, mm-hmm. So I got to see a lot of the surrounding uh, islands and um, parks and all of that sort of thing during that period, which is really, really cool. And I'm glad I got to experience that. So, yeah. um, Before we continue, it seems like there's um, some feedback on your earbuds. I'm just wondering if it's, yeah. uh, if it's a little staticky. Um, it sounds good to me. Um, okay. I wonder if it could just be the website or something, but I'll try to figure this out afterwards. Not a big deal. Okay. We, we already touched on it a little bit. Like you were playing for Oubliette and Battle Path um, prior to moving to Seattle. Um, and then moving into your new group, uh, you stuck with kind of like the black metal, mostly black metal sound. So what are the reasons behind you choosing to stick with that route? I, I absolutely love it, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I that atmospheric sort of just swirling... I don't know how to describe it really. I think everybody knows what I'm talking about though. Just the intensity of it, yet yeah, the beauty of it. Um, I'm musically very drawn to melodic black metal and always have been. Um, and I just find it to be a very um, fulfilling way of writing music for me. You know, it, it gets the point across. I mean, the subject matter of this particular album is very um, angry and sad all at once. Mm-hmm. So it just, it's more of a fitting genre, I think. Um, to get the point across and to tell that story, and I like how the uh, the whole album is one overarching story, and it and it tells um, for those who haven't heard of Mortal Thrall's music. This first album deals with a character named Maria, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but it's a pretty interesting story. And and I'm I'm kind of wondering where your influences where that lies. Like, is that the end to her story? Yeah, I mean it's 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 unfortunately sort of a one and done situation because. I mean, like you said, if you're not looking mm. to spoil it, I won't get into that. But yeah, I've told the story that there was to tell uh, for this particular individual. Um, I mean, it is a true story. It is based on um, historical documents that were buried by the Vatican until about the 1990s. Okay. Um, and it's 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 a fascinating and horrible story, to be perfectly honest. But I, when I ran across it, I just got very wrapped up in it and um, felt compelled to tell it. So once I uh, found it, it was just one of those things that kind of, while I was I was writing music for the record, and um, for whatever reason, and, and this is probably in our, I think our press kit or whatever, but um, it's, I was very wrapped up in 
Renaissance paintings at the time. I was just kind of exploring a lot of them, specifically Cara Beggio. His work was, was really, really fascinating to me, which is beautiful and violent and, you know, um, you know, disturbing to look at, but also really, really beautiful. The art is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, he's obviously a master at what he did. Um, and somehow or another, I found myself finding the story in the process of all of that. It's all very connected. Hmm. Um, and then the moment I ran across this story, a light bulb just went off. It was like, this is what the album is. And I, and I knew it almost immediately. So I got very obsessed with it for, for a couple of months while writing the lyrics. So, And how did you come across the story? And is the actual person's name Maria as well? Yes. Uh, it's Maria de los Lopez. Uh, excuse me. Maria de los Dolores Lopez. Um, she's a real individual that existed in, uh, towards the very end of the Spanish Inquisition and was one of its last uh, victims. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, again, it was just in the research of these paintings that I, I ran across a painting, and I honestly can't remember if it was, I don't believe it was Caravaggio, I think it was another, another painter, but it was loosely based on something like that around the Spanish Inquisition, and of a character that was involved with the Spanish Inquisition, and somehow or another I got led to that story, um, and then just fell completely down the rabbit hole researching it. So, yeah. It's like, like looking for Cambridge papers and all sorts of things, you know, in the process of, of researching you know, the story. So, You mentioned earlier that you were kind of compelled to tell this story. Um, what were the reasons for that? Um, I think it, it's just stirred something in me reading it because it was such a um, sort of horrendous thing that this individual went through. Um, and I'm, I find it compelling because, you know, between religious fervor, which I still still see in our society quite a bit to a sort of disturbing degree, quite frankly. Um, I felt a lot of parallels between what was going on then and sort of what's going on now, granted in a different way now, as opposed to just flat out, you know, um, executing people, so to speak. But mm-hmm. um, it's, there's still common themes there of oppression and of, um, uh, women being treated as lesser when they're obviously not. Uh, but I just, again, oppression. I think that was the main thing that really pulled me into it. Um, being, being gay, uh, it's something that's usually on my mind, unfortunately, because it's something that we're all still dealing with pretty regularly. So I felt, I just felt the connection there. Mm-hmm. And I felt it was an individual that was very heroic in her own way because she just could not be, you know, told what to do. And I found that to be, especially in that particular time frame, and what they were dealing with, that was incredible. You know, so you didn't find a lot of outspoken heroes in those situations. Well, and as sad of a tale as it is, and, and as chilling as it is, it matches be- like beautifully with the music that you've put together. Yeah, um, I, I definitely feel like that worked out very well, and almost to a degree, like, it was kind of... You have these moments as a musician where you, you sort of stumble into things that are almost presented to you, like, here, this is for you to do something with. And for me, writing that record was very much like that. It was just kind of like, this riff goes with this riff, and this riff goes with this riff, and just, I don't know, it just fell. I didn't have to do a lot of arranging, which is really unusual. I'm usually very, very much into arranging stuff, playing around with it, but it was sort of like, everything just sort of fell in place. And I very rarely run across instances in my life as a musician where those things happened so yeah there's for me it's it was kind of weirdly magical so hmm. 
And so like uh, Mortal Thrall has uh, pretty blatant Baroque and post-rock influences. I'm wondering where those um, those inspirations or ideas came to you and why you chose to go that route instead of just more pure black metal or melodic back. I guess it is melodic black metal in a way. But... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of post. I, I'm, I have always for a long time, and I've played in other bands, I've, I've played in, in post-rock bands as well because I love that sort of stuff where okay, your hums and your shiners and um, um, whole Kansas City music scene that was kind of going for a number of years. I love that stuff and I've always loved it. The big spacious drums and just, you know, the massive, massive rock stuff, so to speak. Um, and I just, from the get-go, I just was like, I want to kind of blend these two things together if I can. Um, and granted, I feel like the record sort of leaned more towards the black metal side of things before it was all said and done. But the intention going in was, you know, I want to you know, mix these two things up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as it, like I said, as it evolved, you know, when you start you start a project and you start working on it, it sort of evolves into whatever it kind of is. Um, it definitely kind of wound up more on the melodic black metal side of things, I would say. But yeah, that was where it initially started off. We touched on this earlier again. Uh, Brian, if you're living in Seattle, you were a member of Oubliette and Battle Path. In Oubliette, you played with Mike Lowe and Emily Lowe. And mm-hmm. for people who are not aware, uh, Mike Lowe is one of the co-owners of Artisan Era, as well mm-hmm. as a member of Inferi. Um, how did you get involved with them? And what was it like um, working with them? Um, well, Mike and Emily, I met several years ago when they actually showed up at a Battle Path show. Um, okay. Battle Path ran for probably 10, 12 years, somewhere around there, um, for a long time. And... Um, you know, Mike uh, being a fan, uh, Battle Path being kind of a black and doom sort of outfit. Um, you know, Mike's a fan of black metal as well, obviously. Um, and we just struck up a conversation and started talking. Um, and at that point, I didn't even know Oubliette existed. Um, but, you know, they passed a CD off to me and we just started, you know, chatting kind of friendly. Um, mm-hmm. He mentioned at some point that he wanted to, to put a live band together for, for Oubliette because um, the first record was already out and they were thinking about like, yeah, maybe we should start playing this stuff live. Um, and obviously met Emily in the process of meeting Mike. Um, yeah, and then next thing, you know, somehow or another, I wound up playing guitar <laughs> in the live band for Oubliette. Um, and then that, that bled into um, uh, recording the passage and, and doing some writing on that record as well. Um, yeah, it was a great experience, actually. I mean, we... I had a blast in Oubliette and uh, I kind of hated leaving it, to be perfectly honest, when I went to Seattle because uh, um, it was just a great band. I mean, it was a great working environment. Um, got to go to Europe and play Metal Days with those guys, which was a blast. Uh, nice. Yeah, that was a really good time. Um, yeah, they're a great band. I had a really, really good time in that band. So. What is Metal Days? Um, it's in uh, Slovenia. It's a big metal festival. Uh, it goes on pretty much every year over there. Um and uh, it's kind of nestled right in the Alps. It's incredible, actually. It's like one of the best festival experiences I've ever had. It's just oh, this tiny, little, yeah. It's this tiny little town called Tolman, um, and you know their their big industry is is the festival scene. So they have metal days. They have other festivals that come through there in the uh, in the summer, and that's uh, you know it's kind of the town seems to sort of function around the festival circuit. Um, but it's an idealistic place to see a festival. I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful. So it, yeah. it's really cool that the town fo- like kind of feeds off of that as well. Yeah. I mean, you can, I mean, it, all the local individuals there were so nice and, you know, I mean, we, it's tr- nice thing. There's no McDonald's there. There's none mm-hmm. of that. It's just, it's all local restaurants. It's all, you know, local grocery stores. It's, it was so cool to just disconnect completely from like, you know, corporatism and all that stuff that we are so used to. I, I just go to some little 
you know, mom and pop diner or restaurant and eat local food. It was fantastic. It was an incredible experience. And I would absolutely go over there again, in a heartbeat. So, yeah. Sounds like a good place to visit even without the festival. Oh, I absolutely. I mean, it's, there's so much to see. I mean, and it's, it's a natural sort of wonder, so to speak. So yeah, I would just go back there and hang out. <laughs> so it's great. Awesome. That sounds really cool. Yeah. So then in playing with Oubliette, you mentioned that they were they were looking for live members. Does that mean they only had like one or two members prior to you joining? Well, I mean, truthfully, I mean, Emily and Mike are Oubliette as far as a, um, a project is concerned. Um, they had people playing on the record and whatnot. But yeah, there was not a live band that existed of any sort. Um, so and then they you know, started to, to put it together. We started uh, rehearsing a lot and eventually playing shows. Yeah. For you, what are some of the biggest differences between starting a band and then joining one that's already been established? Um, well, I mean, the nice thing about Oubliette specifically is, you know, there was a built-in record deal there, which was nice. I mean, there's Artisan Arrow was already <laughs> already right there, yeah. um, so there's lots of support in that regard. Um, also, uh, Mike basically records everything uh, mm-hmm. for Oubliette, which also Mike recorded uh, or, or engineered, I should say, mixed, uh, not engineered, mixed the Mortal Thrall record for me as well. Um, yeah, I mean, there was. I, I learned a lot actually working with Mike. I mean, Mike is a, is a consummate professional, to be perfectly honest. And I learned, you know, kind of a different way of working. Uh, usually, when I was writing, I was usually in a room with like five, six guys, and you know, hashing it out in a room trying to write stuff. Whereas Oubliette functioned incredibly differently. So it was more sitting in front of a laptop and you know, writing sections and parts and putting them together. And um, yeah, I mean, it just I don't know. I, t- I, lo- I learned a lot as far as. I was technically very behind for a long time um, just because, you know, my way of functioning and, you know, primarily been on like recording on a four track or something or, you know, on my phone or whatever. So, um, yeah, I learned a lot about, you know, kind of recording from Mike. And then obviously when I went to do this thing, I bought a laptop and bought some recording software and learned how to use it and um, self-engineered most of, most of that record. Um, Yeah. So that was probably the main thing. I mean, just, just kind of a different way of working and a different way of thinking about uh, music and how to write it. So, And then did you bring some of what you learned in Oubliette back to Battle Path as well? Um, not much. I mean, Battle Path was sort of its own entity. And it, like I said, it had already kind of been established for a number of years. So, I mean, we kind of continued to do the same thing um, we were doing. I would, I would say like prior to Oubliette, we had put out a record um, with Battle Path called Embedo. Um, and then we were working on another one for most of the period of time that I was in Oubliette. Um, things kind of moved slow within that within that particular band. Um, so there's another Battle Path record that's almost finished that will maybe eventually come out if, I can get, if we can get around to finishing it. Um, but um, yeah, it, those two bands just function completely differently. So. Do you notice in any of uh, any of the three groups that you were kind of limited with uh, like creative freedom or creative expression? Um, well, Battle Path, like I said, was different. And in some ways it was a little limiting, um, mainly because, you know, it was, it was super down tuned and I was, I was kind of to a point where I was like, I don't really want to write in really down tuned tunings anymore. I had mm-hmm. kind of done what I could do with that at that time anyway. Um, so it was kind of nice to, for even Oubliette or for that matter, Mortal Thrall to just kind of come back up to a more of a standard style, uh, sort of tuning. Like uh, Oubliette is in, bra- is in D and uh, Mortal Thrall is actually in just you know, E standard. So I didn't down tune anything on that. I just grabbed the guitar, put it in regular tuning and wrote. 
so in that sense, it was it was nice to uh, come back to uh, just kind of more standard tunings and not be worried so much about being super down tuned. Um, yeah, I don't know for whatever reason I found that rather liberating. And fair enough. Um, for you, like, was there a lot of thought put into what level of tuning that you would incorporate into your music, or is that just something that kind of happened when you're putting together the musical direction? Um, well, with Battle Path, it was very intentional to be in. We were in drop A actually, so we were super, super low tune. Six string guitars, not seven strings, just six string guitars, just way down tuned, like really fat strings on it. Um, because we were trying to go for that sort of doomy thing, you know, we wanted that super low end. I was playing through like a Sun Model T, you know, that that kind of uh, that mass sort of sound we were going for. Um, so yeah, that was very intentional um, when we started that band. That prior band that that one formed out of called Under the Earth was also in a very low tuning. Um, yeah, it was very intentional. It just it, after you know ten years of doing that or whatever, it was just kind of like okay, I'm really kind of kind of tired of trying <laughs> to write doom riffs, you know. So which no, no, you, know, you I, just want to keep things fresh, right? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I always tend to find myself ping-ponging all over depending on what i'm into at any given time and what i want to write but you know that's difficult to do when you're in a band and you have a, a personality as a band so to speak so yeah. yeah that's just it like experimentation is one thing but you can't completely change the sound of your band or it might alienate a lot of your listeners or it might no longer sound like the band uh, right. should exactly yeah so there's 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 always something kind of limiting i think about that in that regard you know with any band though you know you kind of get stuck in a mold whether you want to or not unless you're you know, I don't know. I can't think of anybody right now off the top of my head that just does whatever they want. You know. Yeah, so, fair enough. You know. But, yeah, it uh, seems like they all kind of have like their um their path, and they might deviate a little bit, but they don't just take a, a wide right turn. Right. I mean, you know, unless you're Metallica or something, I guess. But you know, yeah, that's a story we can get into. <laughs> and then as as far as Mortal Thrall goes, you guys only have uh, currently two members. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, what are the biggest differences playing with only two members versus a band with say four or five? Um, it's the, the old less cooks in the kitchen sort of concept, I guess it was, um, I mean, when I was, I, I, this record evolved out of demos that I were, was working on and basically sort of compiled before anybody touched them. Um, so, I mean, it was just, I was able to sit there and write all of it without basically any interference, so to speak. And it was, here you go. This is a song it's done. You know, what can you do with it? Um, so in that regard, it was, it was, and the nice thing about it, I will say, is I, I trusted Chris, um, the guy who did all the synth work on the record. I just told him to do what he did. And that was the nice thing about it, because I, I knew I could trust him to do something interesting and um, without really much direction from me at all. I think we had like one scenario where it was like, man, this isn't working. We need to kind of do something a little different. That was it. I mean, on the entire record, it was just basically, here are the keyboard tracks, do with you what you want. And it was just like, okay, you're giving me gold left and right. So, um, yeah, he and I think very similarly though. And he also played with, with me in Battle Path too. So, um, okay. Yeah. So we've been working together for a long time. Well, and a long standing relationship uh, kind of builds that trust and that, um, mm -hmm kind of that laissez-faire attitude where you don't have to worry about what's going on with the other people in your band. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know that they know where you're coming from musically and, and can complement it, you know, and that's, that's exactly where we, you know, kind of function. So, yeah. And that's got to be a pretty stress way, uh, stress-free way to write music then as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's just, it's just nice to be able to sit down and just go, no, I like this. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and that, so it was, it was pretty great. I mean, it was kind of weirdly draining writing that record at the same time. Like as, as easy as everything kind of came, like I, 
after I got done with it, I was just like, I didn't touch it. I didn't touch a guitar for a while. I didn't, you know, I was just kind of like, oh, done with that for a bit, you know. So, um, you know, I've kind of started fooling around with potential ideas for the next album, but nothing's even concrete yet. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. Did you have to put the guitar down for a little while because you were working so intensely on this for quite a while? I think that was part of it. Yeah, just between um, recording multiple guitar parts and writing multiple guitar parts for it and um, just the recording process and all of that because I was trying to be as meticulous as I possibly could on it. Um, and there was some sections that I had to like, I wrote and couldn't play. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to really, really practice this to play it you know, properly on record. Um which I know we all kind of sort of deal with whenever we're in the process of recording, but it is fun when you write something that's sort of out of your um, normal abilities to play. <laughs> so you have to like work it up. So uh, yeah, kind of learning as you go, but also building that skill base that you have already. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely nice. It was, it was just, uh, but uh, yeah, it was just kind of the whole process was, it was a lot. I mean, between doing all the guitars, all the bass, all the vocal, and basically all by myself for all intents and purposes, it was just me in a room, you know, with a, uh, a little box and I was plugging everything into and just getting it done. So yeah, it was a really interesting, interesting way to write and record. Yeah. By the end of it, I was a little tired. <laughs> so that's fine. You know? Well, and you also touched on it earlier, but saying that the story resonated within you. So I can imagine kind of that, that story and having to relive it over and over again, kind of be emotionally draining. Oh yeah. No, it absolutely was. I mean, um, writing those lyrics and then, proceeding to especially do the vocal tracks on those was uh, yeah emotionally exhausting to be perfectly honest some of it is just horrendous mm -hmm. um and yeah just sympathizing with, the, with uh, the individual and knowing that this is a real person who really lived this um was a lot it really was a lot i mean i had some sleepless nights over this whole thing just because you know it was a touchy story and something that i really wanted to make sure of when making this record, I was as respectful as possible to this individual um, while being truthful about it. And, you know, I mean, even, and that goes even down into the artwork that was created with the record. I had many conversations um, with Kalen uh, Sockerman, who did the art, about how we wanted to present, um, yet illustrate what actually happened. So there were mm -hmm. lots of conversations about details within the artwork. He did a fantastic job with it and was did exactly what I asked as far as, and, and did even more actually. I mean, he went above and beyond even more than I could have imagined. So I mean, down to buildings in the background being accurate historically. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. But the way that Maria is presented on the front cover, um, I, I wanted to make sure we, that was done as respectfully as possible. Um, and I mean, even to the point of um, having the female vocal when she spoke on the album, that was important to me as well. Um, so, you know, when they, her words that were documented were used, uh, Emily Lowe actually did the vocal parts for that. So, oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Shout out to Emily. Yeah. 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 She did a great job, fantastic job with that section. So, so judging by what you've said today, um, overall, you're feeling pretty well or pretty good about the album. I'm thrilled with that record, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I it sounds like I wanted it to sound, um, which, I mean, is half the battle right there, to be perfectly yep. honest. I mean, um, there's been records that have been made in the past that I've not been happy with when they come out. And, you know, they've just, it's sort of one of those things, it's done, you have to live with it, you're moving on. This one was, I, I find enjoyment anytime I put it on. And that mm -hmm. is, for me, and I think for a lot of artists, a rarity. 
um, that you're just happy to be able to like go back and listen to it and not be like, uh-huh. you know, cringing over something. I don't, I don't really have this cringe early moments. I, I feel like it's, the performances are really good. The mix of it is really good. Um, yeah, it's what I wanted it to be. So I'm, I'm very pleased with it. And I like that you can listen to it um, from front to back and all the, the songs seem to move seamlessly between each other. And that the fact the fact that there's an overarching story there that that is always like a selling feature for me. And then just listening to kind of the the, the way the album progresses um, through its entirety was was pretty cool. Well, that's good. I'm really glad to hear that. I mean, that was sort of the goal was I wanted it to just kind of move comfortably from track to track, and it makes sense, you know, musically as well as lyrically, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, from you know the, the peaks and valleys, so to speak, in the story, I feel like the record kind of does what it needs to do musically along with where the lyrics go so yeah I'm, I'm, and I'm pleased to hear that I'm pleased to hear someone say that as well so thank you yeah no problem you've been involved with uh, bands for quite a few years now well over 10 years um, you've obviously gained a lot of skill and knowledge so what are some of the things that you brought to this album that you did you feel that you've done better than your previous work um yeah the one of the main thing that I learned from this record especially with writing it is concerned is to I feel like I've been writing in a distracted environment for many, many years. This was the exact opposite of that. It was basically a quiet room, nothing else but me and a guitar, and just sitting there and working at it. You know what I mean? Like, just finding the riffs. And I I found I wrote so much better when I wasn't, you know, um, I wasn't in a room full of people, to be perfectly honest. I mean, as much as I loved writing in that, that fashion, the collaborative effort, I enjoyed that there was something really, really liberating about just sitting down by myself and letting it flow out and not having anything just deter me from what I was doing. So that in of itself was, was a fun learning experience and something that I really took away from it. And I, I'll certainly collaborate with people in the future. I, I love that. I love collaborations. I feel like that's a really unique and interesting way to write. Um, but I learned a lot about how I might, might, might want to make another Mortal Flaw record in the future, which is just sitting there and quiet, <laughs> you know, and letting it flow out. So, yeah. So was Mortal Thrall something that you expected to only be one record, or is it something that you wanted to start and continue working on for whatever period of time? When I first started working on this, there were really no expectations, to be perfectly honest. I mean, it was just a matter of, I want to write, mm-hmm. and I something's there, something needs to come out, so I need to do this. Um, Chris and I have talked, we have certainly talked about doing another record. Um, and I think it'll probably continue along the same sort of lines as far as finding another concept to write around. Um, that's going to be the tricky part because I need to find a concept that I, I can really dig into and something that I feel is going to be important to get out there. Um, I, I'm pleased with the story of this last record. I'm pleased with getting a story out there that had been kind of buried for a long time. So the next record, I think, will be something along the same lines. It's some story that needs to be heard and something that I can emotionally connect to in order to write it. Um, and Chris and I have talked about that as well. And I think we're both on the same page about that. It's just, you know, we want that emotional impact um, in the lyrical content. Um, and it, it needs it needs to be a story that highlights something, you know, whatever that happens to be. So we'll see. There's a death metal band out of France called Achievel, who their latest album has, I believe it's nine songs, but each of the songs are 
like a homage to the victim of some serial killer and so they they oh, wow. some of the songs are written in the perspective of the serial killer but it's all it's all to bring awareness and kind of like i said to pay homage to those victims yeah and i mean i think that there's you know it's some nobility in that so to speak of you know honoring someone and you know i think through art you know i I like art with a purpose. You know, I really do. I feel like it's, to me, it's just a little more interesting, I guess. I mean, I like art in general, but specifically if you're trying to get a message across of some sort, for whatever reason, it draws me in. So, you know, yeah, we'll see kind of how this plays out. (laughs) Well, and some people explicitly say the message that they're trying to get across, but like you, others decide to tell a story and hopefully that those points are like resonate within the listeners. But as long as you know what the message is and that it's out there, it's all good. Yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, it's obviously people are going to take what they want from art as part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, so you put it out there and see what happens. Um, you know, there's uh, many different interpretations for many different different things. So, which I also find interesting in and of itself, like what people will, will gain from something that may not have even been there to begin with, at least as far as the artist was concerned. But the art takes on a life of its own, and people gain what they gain from it. So, it's yeah, I find that fascinating in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And so for Mortal Thrall, you've played, uh, sorry, you did the vocals and then you did bass and guitar. So how did you learn um, bass and guitar? And were you already a fan of metal at that time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, um, you know, prior with Battle Path and Oubliette. Um, and I've played bass in and out of bands for a long time. Um, so this is, I'm actually playing bass in another band now as well, uh, since I got back here. Uh, not metal, though. <laughs> it's uh, kind of more of a shoegaze <laughs> outfit. No, it's it's more of like a shoegaze kind of kind of thing. So it's a band called Tape Deck Mountain. They've been around for a while. Very good band. Um, but no, I, I've played bass for a long time. I've played guitar for a long time as well. So it was just kind of a matter of picking it up and doing it. So, mm. yeah. yeah. And at this point, like, are you able to switch bass and guitar out with much, without many complications? Like, or does your mind switch over to, uh, I guess, yeah, just playing the other instrument? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's not too difficult. I, I look at bass as very much a, as almost a percussive instrument in a lot of ways um, okay. because I find it very synonymous with drums. You know, I mean, it's I'm always looking for um, as soon as I switch pick up a bass, I'm starting to immediately think about the kick drum um, as opposed to guitar, which could be just you know, anything, just rather you know, rhythmic or lead sort of stuff. Mm. But as soon as I pick up a bass, I'm immediately thinking about being in the pocket, being in with the drummer, you know, um, so that's that's kind of second nature anytime I pick one up. So, so with bass, is it kind of like a more of a timing thing that you're looking at? It's well, it's, it's more the rhythm in the sense of, okay. you know, locking in and, and being complementary to what's going on with the kick drum and what's going on with the percussion. Um, so that's, that's the way I approach bass, you know, um, granted with like, you know, black metal, um, you tend to sort of follow the guitar a little bit, but you know, if, where things change a little bit like if it's not obviously a blast beat or something you know if it's where things diverge at that point yeah i'm gonna follow what's going on with the, the bass drum specifically or, or what the, the rhythmic aspect is and fit right in with the pocket there so yeah you seem to have a lot of musical styles that you really appreciate so i've heard everything now from like post rock you have shoegaze black metal um what other genres of music metal or not um are you into um, how much time do you have? Um, <laughs> uh, honestly, I, I, music in general just fascinates me. I will listen to literally anything and literally any genre. And I'm not saying that lightly. I mean, if you went through my record collection, you're going to find jazz, you're going to find blues, you're going to find dance music, you're going to find pop music, you're going to find lots of metal, lots of rock. Um, 
there's country in there. Obviously, I grew up in the South, so it's uh, <laughs> country is sort of in my veins, so to speak. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I that, that's classical. You know, I, there's there's not really any genre music I can find that I can't find something that I like in it. I mean, mm. it's I just find music in general fascinating. You know, um, always have. So, what does a musician have to do in any genre of music to make them stand out for you? Um. I don't know. There's always that, the thing that I try to describe is there's always that little something extra, I think, that's setting you above your peers, I guess. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be on a technical level by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, there's a thing, you know, and I, I think probably a lot of us know this, our favorite records, the things that really, really grab us. There's mm-hmm. just something there that's maybe um, a little more fascinating than say everything else or the things that you don't necessarily pick up as often or whatever. Um, I don't know. I, 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 that's a hard question in that sense um, because it's hard to describe exactly what it is. Um, I mean, I listen to a, and I, I say it literally a ton of music. I everything from just weird avant-garde stuff to you know whatever. Um, but there's always a certain things that really, really grab me, and I think it generally tends to be like a band like Blue House Nord is a perfect example of this, but with, within like black metal or, or whatever. They're doing something different. They're pushing boundaries um, with the music that they make. You know, every record is a little different from the last one, and you never know quite what they're going to drop on you. I love that. Like, I love that. Like, I don't know what I'm going to get. I know it's going to be interesting, though. You know, so that's, I guess that's a long-winded way of saying what what grabs my interest in music, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) If it makes any sense whatsoever. (laughs) No, it definitely makes sense. And I think I know exactly what you mean by um, it's hard to explain because there are sometimes you're listening to a song and you're like, okay, I can hear the emotion coming through in the vocals or you can just hear the intensity in the music. Like it doesn't really matter how technical or not they are, mm-hmm. but sometimes it just, um, and, and for an example, just this is the easiest one I can think of. Um, everybody knows Eminem. And I think okay. one of the reasons that he kind of rose to the top of rap is partly because that emotion is consistently there and he's always like, he's putting everything he can to every one of the songs. No, I think that's a fair, fair example as far as, I mean, granted, I've got some issues with some problematic lyrics that he's got out there. Don't get me wrong, but um, oh, yeah. <laughs> as far as, you know, being at the top of the, the genre that he was involved with, yeah, there wasn't any real question. I mean, it was, you knew he was serious about what he was doing, straight mm-hmm. up, you know, as yep. ridiculous as he was at times, you knew he wasn't playing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Yeah. Uh, I think integrity, I guess, is is a good way to look at that. You know, or do you mm. do you put integrity across in your music? You know, so. But then again, you know, I like silly stuff too. So I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's it, it depends on. I don't know. Even even the silly stuff, there can be integrity, though. I guess so. You don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and sometimes even like uh, one record will catch you more than the next. It might even be mm-hmm. the same artist, but. Sometimes it's just you don't feel it as well the next time around, or you don't feel it oh, yeah. in their first couple of records or whatever. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I think that that's an interesting issue for a lot of bands that you know come out really strong with their first or second albums, and then as they move through, you know, their catalog, it just kind of loses you over time. You know, you're just like mm-hmm. it doesn't quite have the same thing that pulled me into their earlier work. You know, and I've seen that with lots of bands over the years, or at least personally had that experience. So. And I don't think it's anything that they're doing necessarily. It's just, you know, either, or maybe it is, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it, it, either your taste change or 
or it's just not grabbing you for whatever reason. I know that I've certain sometimes albums have come out and I've not been in the right mood or headspace for that particular album. Go back to it years later and think, what was I thinking? This is great, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I've definitely experienced that as well. I guess you can also say that like your taste changes over time too. So oh, yeah. um for me, like I was never never a big fan of cattle decapitation. Um there's a weird voice they do that I couldn't get over for so long, but the rest of the music was pretty decent. And I found myself listening to them recently and just not even caring about the, the, the weird vocals. Um, I don't even know what you call them, but it's kind of like, like higher pitch and it, it just rubbed me the wrong way for so long. And I think it was like last month I plugged in one of their albums. I'm like, this is fucking amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think that will happen. Yeah. Definitely. As you get older, your taste change and you start to appreciate things that you didn't necessarily appreciate before. Also, I think there's just maturity with getting older as far as your listening tastes are concerned. You know, it's like you just, I don't know, you listen to music differently. I certainly do. I mean, I, God, when I was younger, it was like, if it wasn't aggressive, I wasn't listening to it at all. And as I've gotten older, I'm like, Oh my God, turn off the aggressive. Give me some like chill jazz for a little bit. You know I mean? It's just, it's a, you know, depending on my mood, but, you know, when I was younger, it was like, if it wasn't heavy, I wasn't listening to it. And it didn't matter what it was. If it was rock and it wasn't, you know, heavy enough, I was moving right on past it. So it's uh, it's interesting how you, you mature as you get older with your musical taste. So, And you start to listen for different things as well. And like, um, for me, since starting this podcast and talking with multiple band members, I've just been kind of listening on some of the things or listening to some of the things that they point out for example like a guitarist would hear different riffs or different tones uh tunes whatever in the music and i start to try and focus on that to see if i can pick out um what other people are hearing sometimes i can't i don't have a very um advanced ear i guess but well you know and again it's i think people are it's so subjective to the listener you know what i mean it's like what your ear and your brain focuses on when you're you're listening to something and i find that that can change from listen to listen you know i mean you yep. go back and listen to the same song and you hear it completely differently than the time you did before just depending upon maybe what your way your emotional state is or, or, or you know maybe what kind of day you've had whatever you know it's it's sort of ever evolving and i also find that incredibly fascinating like just you know the experience of um going back and hearing something different in a record that you've never heard before to me that's probably the most exciting thing about music is throwing on a set of headphones tuning the world out and just listening and seeing what you can find that you haven't heard before. That is to me, just the, the epitome of amazing. So you touched on earlier, but um, talking about distractions, that's another thing that I've noticed that you can hear so much more when you don't have any distractions on the go. Like you said, plug in some earphones, listen to the music and there's, it's amazing what level of detail is put into music. Well, and I also think that it goes to, um, that's a, a, a lost art in and of itself that I think a lot of people are sort of losing because music has become so background for people working or just whatever you're doing. I mean, there's so, it takes a lot to focus on just one thing anymore. We have so many distractions, you know, our phones constantly going off or this, that, the other, you know, um, television, whatever, you know, it's just, we are continually a distracted species at this point. So yeah, whenever you can carve out the time to just, focus on one thing it is amazing what you will discover in that time um that's i mean that's honestly one of the things that i will say because i'm in my mid-40s so i remember days prior to having cell phones and you know i I miss those days in a lot of ways to be perfectly honest i mean i feel like there's you know someone can always get in touch with you there used to be a time Mm -hmm. you could go you could go out of the house and no one would bother you (laughs) it was kind of amazing you know, whereas now, you know, someone can always reach you whenever, 
And I don't know about you, but I almost never turn my phone off. So, you know, it's, I feel like we're almost um, beholden to these things now, which is kind of a bummer. <laughs> so it's true though. Like you're not even turning, not only that you're not turning it off, but you're carrying it with you even when you're in the house or you go oh, yeah. to the grocery store or something. You're like, I need my phone or else you feel fucking naked. Yep. That's absolutely accurate. I mean, it is one of those things that is, I think we are all a victim of it. And, you know, anybody that's, that carries around one of these things are, you know, continually attached at the hip to them, to them now. I mean, I had to go to the store or go pick up food one night and I didn't have my phone with me because it was updating or something. And it was in the middle of an update and I needed to go get food. And it was like the weirdest experience leaving my house without it. I'm like, what if I get a flat tire? What if I get a wreck? What am I going to do? I'm like, we used to not think about these things. You know? yeah. <laughs> leave the house and go. You know? yeah. And also used to be a payphone on every corner. There was that. So, I mean, you could actually just call someone, but I wouldn't know anybody's phone number now to call them. Cause it's all in no phone. shit. Like, you know, your parents <laughs> yeah. and that's pretty much it. I don't even know those anymore. I mean, cause they have <laughs> cell numbers now too. I have no idea what yeah. their phone numbers are. It's <laughs> <So, laughs> you know? hilarious. I was uh, joking around with a wife one time. Cause I'm like, I'm going to start leaving my phone at home. And uh, she's like, well, what happens if you get into an accident on your way to work? I was like, you know what? If that was the case, then I probably wouldn't be around to call you anyways. <laughs> Potentially, you know, I mean, hopefully it's not that bad of an accident. God, you know, but. Well, I mean, I have to drive the highway every day. So I was just like, I was just putting some negative thoughts in her mind and she told me to fuck off kindly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too good. That's too good. So I know we went on a bit of a tangent there, but back to uh, Path to Fire. So you partnered mm-hmm. up with Trepanation Recordings. Um, how did you get involved with them and why them specifically? Um, Chris is also involved in another project called Clawing, uh, which okay. tends to be this sort of um, kind of really noisy. They're, they're a really fascinating group. It's kind of hard to describe, though. Um, he does keyboard work for them, and they mm. had released their last record through Trepanation. So we had that connection with Dan there, um, and uh, Chris sort of opened that door with him. And, uh, yeah, he wound up being a fantastic uh, label to partner with on this whole thing. He's been, I, I love Dan to death. He's a great guy. Yeah. Well, they seem to focus on like your style of music. Yeah, I, honestly, there's so much different stuff that comes out on Trepanation. It's almost kind of hard to nail them down, to be perfectly honest, because I think it's just like Dan just puts out whatever he thinks is interesting, you know, and I think that's really cool. Um, you know, you will find all sorts of stuff on Trepanation. It's a fascinating label. So, yeah, it's very cool to be a part of them. And then, like I said, the whole process was fantastic with them. Um, Dan is super responsive, um, you know, and uh, yeah managed to produce really nice looking compact discs and cassettes for us so and you guys are doing a vinyl press here shortly aren't you yeah um doing that diy um so actually i just literally placed the order for that last night so um yeah pretty excited about that really wanted the record to exist on vinyl i'm very much a vinyl fanatic love records with a turntable right behind me literally um and it was just a matter of trying to figure out you know if i felt like there was going to be enough demand potentially to support the vinyl pressing and i feel like there is and it takes a little while to sell and that's okay i'm actually fine with that um we're just doing a run of a hundred of them it's just on black vinyl you know really really basic but i think it'll look really nice and sound really nice so yeah i'm pretty excited about it what is it about vinyl that you like specifically um that's a that's a deep question um i <laughs> have been sort of obsessed with vinyl records since i was a little kid um okay. i grew up with a turntable in my house i had my own little personal small little turntable as a kid and just for whatever record or whatever reason i have just always been fascinated by vinyl records i feel like the you know there's just a little more magic in them i think than you know cds or mp3s or whatever you know they're, they're a little sterile whereas vinyl forces you to interact with the medium 
Um, mm. I find that interesting. Um, I also find I listen better to, to records for whatever reason than say MP3s or CDs or whatever. Um, you know, you've got to got to be involved with it. You have to put the needle on. You have to like take the needle off and flip the record over. You know, it's just. I think that just the magic of how it works is unbelievable. I mean, you've got these grooves cut in plastic, and you've got a, a metal stylus that's literally just reading vibrations and translating that into music. There's something just insane about it, you know, that it actually works, you know. Um, and that, you know, I mean, as far as the, <clears throat> for many years, I would have said it sounds better. I don't think it's. I think we're to the point now where digital sounds just as good as vinyl, if not better. Quite frankly, because I mean. What they're able to do with you know um, uh, flat files and lossless files, and um, you're getting incredible, incredible reproduction of music in that, in that you know, vein. But I just prefer a record, and I will. Mm. And I also I like it because you, when you buy a physical product in the band, you're supporting them directly. You know, I mean, and so I tend to if I like the record, I'm going to buy it on vinyl. You know, because it's it's support. You know, um, yeah. And also, the artwork's big. It's interesting to look at it. And, you know, the full story, so to speak. There's definitely something to be said about having that physical medium. Like one of my favorite things is to look at the album cover, look at the the booklet, um, go through the lyrics, kind of see what artwork is there and and how it relates to the album. So the bigger, the better. Um, Although I've, I've never focused on vinyl. It's, it's always CDs for me just because they take up less space. But um, one thing I hate is that um, everything's kind of being moved digitally and that you're looking at your phone to see the artwork. It's just like, it's not being done any justice. You don't get anything from it, to be perfectly no. honest. I mean, it's just it's just a marker, basically, for the record at that point um, yeah. in your phone. You know, so I mean, that was one of the things. It's just like this particular album. I really love the artwork it was created for, and I wanted to see it on vinyl as well. I mean, I just mm-hmm. you know, I, I think the also the insert stuff is really killer on this record too. I mean, it, it looks very different than the actual artwork on the record, and I think it's going to look really nice. Press you know the labels on the vinyl and the insert it's going in, back cover, all of that. It's going to be it's going to look really nice. So I'm excited about it. Awesome. And you're only limiting this to 100, you said, right? First run, at least. You know, obviously, if, it, if we sell through them fast enough, I might order another run. But um, as it stands right now, it's just going to be 100. And it, it, if we do another run, it'll probably be on a different colorway or something. But I just did 180 gram black vinyl just for sonic purposes. I think it's going to sound really nice on that. And if I order another run, I might change it up. So we'll see kind of have like a limited release almost and kind of increase the rarity of it yeah well, mainly it's it's not so much that it's more about i don't want to get stuck with a pile of you know two or three hundred records that are not necessarily selling it's like, you never know what this stuff you know it's it's one of those things it's it's not a cheap endeavor for one thing so you're having to you know kind of um, hope that these sell that you recoup um and then you know again i don't have the space for all those <laughs> so yeah, no doubt. it's like i'm just gonna do 100 and if they sell they sell and if they if they don't i'm not stuck with an absolute ton of records so you know that's kind of the thinking there i've read there's only a few different companies that do vinyl still there's more and more um happening so you've got more and more plants that are opening up um that's good yeah i mean you've got you've got some people out there championing it, and then on top of it the major labels are putting out records left and right um I mean, I think that Adele record or something, they pressed something like 500,000 copies of that straight away, which was hmm. unreal and also backed up the plants for months. Um, so it's <laughs> seriously, yeah, it's That's true. It's definitely getting more difficult to press records. Um, and it's definitely much more difficult for, um, for indie artists to get priority um, for pressings. And a lot of times you'll see stuff get pushed out and pushed out and pushed out and pushed out for months. 
um, where majors are getting priority over them because they've got the money. So hmm. it's a, it's an interesting dichotomy in the, in the record industry right now because it's interesting because what kept those those plants running for so many years were the indie artists. You know, we were the people putting out vinyl, you know, because, you know, for many years nobody cared. But it's flipped around quite a bit hmm. now. Yeah. So then is, the, is this resurgence in vinyl branching out into other genres of music as well? Like you mentioned oh, yeah. Adele. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's all over the board anymore. I mean, you can literally go to Walmart or Target in the U.S. and buy vinyl now, which is pretty wild. I mean, that hasn't yeah. happened in a very long time. But yeah, I mean, most of your big box retailers are selling vinyl records now. And a lot of them are selling exclusive vinyl records. So they have exclusive pressings for their particular retailer. Yeah, and hmm. it's all sorts of stuff. And that's kind of where I was going with the uh, the rarity comment. I think that like one of the things as a music collector, one of the things you're proud of is having one of those limited edition releases or, you know, a vinyl with a different color print or something like that. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely a thing. And I'm, I'm absolutely guilty of it as well. I mean, there's, yeah. it's like, oh, there's 150 of those. I'm going to buy that particular pressing. You yeah. know, it's, it's, <laughs> I think we all do that to some degree. Um, but yeah, that's evolved interestingly over the years because it wasn't really at least for me growing up, it was just a matter of getting it on vinyl, period. If you could get it on, it didn't matter what it was, black, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and But now, you know, with this resurgence, that's definitely, I think it's a collector market. You know, there's a lot of people that are um, buying solely for collecting them and not ever playing them. Uh, I don't think I have a record in my collection that's not unsealed and not played uh, because that's, I buy them to listen to them. Um, the, the rarity thing is, is a secondary thing for me because I, I just like listening to them, so... Yeah. Oh, the one thing I didn't ask you earlier, uh, we were talking about like your favorite styles of music and stuff like that. Um, who are you, some of your favorite bands? And it doesn't matter what genre. Okay, fair enough. Um, well, I'm about to give you a smorgasbord of a whole bunch of different stuff because I Perfect. like a lot of different music. Um, growing up with stuff like Radiohead, I really loved um, as far as like metal was concerned. I took my toe in the water with like Cannibal Corpse and... Uh, even early DSI, that kind of stuff is what really kind of grabbed my attention, along with like Emperor, Enslaved, stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> these days, um, I, it's funny, I talked about this with another interviewer, uh, probably my favorite record is uh, a record of a band called Talk Talk. Uh, and the album's called Spirit of Eden. It is so far from being aggressive on any level, um, but it is just, to me, it's an absolute masterwork. Um, that record is just i've and i listen to it very sparingly to be perfectly honest like i only listen to it when i have the opportunity to sit down and do nothing else but listen to that album because it is just utterly fascinating as far as i'm concerned um that was one of them um i think what else is like lately uh really enjoying a record by a band called doldrum it just came out called the not uh, the knocking i believe is the name of it um okay. i was just listening to that earlier today actually um it's a really interesting sort of um american folklore haunted sort of black metal stuff really interesting record um new blue dust Lord, i think is amazing um I'm trying to think what else i'm listening to lately i'm excited for the new warforge that's coming out on artisan era i think that band is really really unique in the uh the tech neck tech death world they're just there's something different there like i i really loved their last album so i'm very excited for the new one um other than that, um, I think like everybody else in the world right now, I'm listening to Kate Bush quite a bit. Uh, from this whole Stranger Things thing is blowing up, which is interesting. I was already a fan of Kate Bush, so it's really interesting to watch everybody 
find out about her because <laughs> um, she's a, a fascinating artist in and of itself. So. And I'm going to completely mispronounce this and because I, I don't know what the actual pronunciation of it is. That band, Vigadude or Vigadude, however you pronounce their name, I don't know if you're familiar with them or not. Um, they are God, one of the most brutal black metal acts out right now, and they are fantastic. Um, How do you spell it? W-I-E-G-E-D-O-O-D. That's a very interesting name. Yeah, they're killer. Um, we, they were actually on the same... Uh, festival when we played Metal Days and I got to see them uh, then, but their newest record is just phenomenal. Like That album is amazing. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Awesome. I'm going to take a look at them uh, after this episode. Sick. Yeah. Can't recommend them enough. I mean, they, I, they, their whole catalog is fantastic, but they've gone above and beyond in this new record. It's like the fourth album and it is just, it's insane. It's so, so good. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's just pure black metal then? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, they're just uh, apparently those guys kind of came out of the punk and hardcore scene, actually. Um, Interesting. They started this band, but they are they have a very unique approach to black metal, I think. Um, and just they're a great band. I, I just can't say enough good things about those guys. Cool. So, okay. So I'm just looking them up here on the metal archives and it's, uh, they're from Belgium and yeah. it literally translates to death in the cradle, a Dutch term for sudden infant death syndrome. Interesting. Yeah, that, that sounds right. <laughs> That's it's pretty been morbid, a while since but... I've looked at that. Oh, it's very morbid, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, I think the newest record, I can't remember the name, it's like something like There's Always Blood at the End of the Road or something. It's just, mm. it is vicious, to say the least. <laughs> so, um, cool. Yeah, very good listen. Awesome. Black metal is one of those uh, one of those genres that I wasn't really into. I'd say too much prior to starting this podcast but again just like in in talking with some of my guests and then uh trying to listen for different things i found a real appreciation for it and maybe not the old like raw type black metal necessarily but like definitely the melodic and the more modern modernized types sure so yeah yeah i'm super stoked to check this out yeah that's a that's a great record i think you'll very much enjoy that one and I, like i said that doldrum album is very very cool too it's a really unique funny record yeah well thank you for the recommendations i appreciate it yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My last question here is if people are looking for Mortal Thralls music, where is the best place for them to find it for you guys? Um, for us, the best place would be our Bandcamp page. So mortalthrall.bandcamp.com. Um, you know, obviously, that's the best place you can support the band, so to speak. Um, otherwise, it's on pretty much all the normal streaming services as well. So, Todd, I want to thank you again for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. And I hope to see you guys play in the future. Yeah, we'll see if we actually ever decide to play this live. So <laughs> we'll make that decision later at some point, I think. They haven't put together any shows or tours then? Nope, none of that as of yet. I mean, it's we've talked about maybe a one-off show to play the whole record from front to back. That's quite an undertaking, um, not having a, a, a live band and expecting people to learn all of that and then play it. Um, no doubt. So I don't know. We'll see what the future holds. But right now, it's, it's very much up in the air. So. Well, I look forward to hearing either new music or um, any kind of announcements. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, thank you much. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.